Action Network Podcast. If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Brendan Glasheen joined by Sean Zarillo, Billy Ward, breaking down UFC 285. Yes, your UFC betting preview. 285 this weekend at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. We'll look at our favorite underdogs, props, and more. Best bets to wrap as always. We begin, though, with the main event featuring John Jones. He's back and taking on Cyril Gain. Gain the dog, Jones the favorite, a three-year absence for Jones. Folks are questioning questioning if he's ready for this moment, if he can get right back in the ring, first time back in the cage. I'm really curious, uh, not only Zarillo and Billy, but of course your pick on the fight and how you want to bet it, but also just the, the, the media day comments. He's addressing his cardio, no longer a lightweight, he's a heavyweight. Just when you digest all of that info, Sean, how do you compartmentalize that with trying to make a betting pick on it. I'm going with the Frenchman. You know, we see very often with these fighters coming back who aren't active from lengthy layoffs. They just sort of have that cage corrosion, not only at the beginning of the fight, but there's that, that timing aspect that's off the ability when they take shots, you know, they haven't been hit hard in the gym that hard in a long time. And also Jones moving up to heavyweight here, never faced, this direct level of power never faced somebody directly of this size or weight in the octagon before. Not sure what he's going to look like athletically, physically coming back from the three-year layoff, dealing with injuries before, adding 40 pounds to his frame. Always had phenomenal cardio. I don't think that cardio is necessarily going to go away. But his speed, his power, going up against somebody on the feet who is a better technician, a better technical striker, he may be at a complete disadvantage on the feet, not only in terms of the technique, but also speed and power does have a three inch reach advantage. Gone kicks really well, going to be able to keep it at range, control the distance on the feet. Jones wants to win this fight. I think he needs to grapple. He never carried much power at light heavyweight. That's not going to translate particularly well to heavyweight either. Getting a standing KO here over Cyril gone is probably a pretty low percentage. I think he needs to take the fight to the ground. If you like to bet John Jones in this fight, I think his submission props are pretty solid stab plus 700 out there. I would make that number closer to five to one. I think he has the grappling upside here. I'm just not sure how consistently he's going to be able to get the takedowns because big cage and gone moves really well. Very tough to angle off. I know Francis and gone. took Cyril gone down a couple of times. Francis and is the strongest person to ever enter the UFC octagon freak athlete gone. Also training counter wrestling for this matchup was training for a striker in that Nganu matchup. So some different things to the aspect of the fight. Jones does have that grappling advantage, but in terms of minute winning over the course of 25 minutes, in terms of finishing upside on the feet, I do like Cyril Gan would bet him down to plus 125 pre-fight. Yeah, Billy, the the comments on media day, Jones was saying how he, he feels great about his endurance and he's a stronger version of himself and he might not be as lean as he once was. So with all that in mind, does that make you eye on the side of Zerillo where you want to go to the other side. I mean, first off, try to not listen to anything a fighter says. 
It's kind of like every running back in August is in the best shape of their life, even though they're coming <laughs> up three torn ACLs. And like, you have to say that, right? Like, no one's going to get up there and be like, mm, I'm feeling okay. You know, I've been better. You can't say that. So, like, this is a good point. Don't don't put too much stock in that. I think if you're handicapping by listening to things they say, it's going to steer you wrong far more often than it's going to steer you to anything useful. With that said, I'm kind of wish Sean. You know least... what, Billy? I'm just the messenger. Okay, that's all I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm not picking on you, Brandon. I'm just saying. Oh, you, out there, I, I I will absolutely be that person if that's what this requires. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mostly agree with Sean's point. The real story of this one is how much line movement we've seen. When the fight was announced, Jones was a pretty sizable underdog. Loved him at that price, right? If he's in his prime, if he's, you know, anywhere close to what he was and can carry that over to heavyweight, you know, the grappling advantage and the overall skill set is just much better than Cyril Gond. But that switched so far in the other direction that if I was picking a money line side, 100% with Sean, I think, you know, getting plus money on the established heavyweight, the younger guy, the more active fighter, just with all those questions is probably the sharper side. But what I'm really looking at, and full full admission, I also stole this one from Sean when we were talking about it. But um, this fight to end inside the distance, it's minus 112 at FanDuel, which is just an absurdly good price for any heavyweight fight, right? But as Sean pointed out, Gon should have all the stand-up advantage. Jones doesn't have huge power, even as a light heavyweight. His knockdown rate is actually lower than the UFC average, and that's including all weight classes, men and women. So not a big power guy. But, you know, we saw Cyril Gon get taken down by Francis Nagano, who learned how to wrestle backstage that night. Like, if Jones can wrestle at all here, huge advantage on the ground. So it's pretty binary. Whichever arena this fight takes place in, one guy has a huge advantage. And then there's the cardio issues. I know he's trains well, has good cardio historically, but carrying 40, 50 extra pounds, that's going to wear on you over five rounds. So with all those factors, I'd take this to minus 130, minus 140. I think earlier in the week, you could even get plus money on and inside the distance, but those seem to be gone now. I just want to be clear. I didn't place that bet. I am on the gone side. I feel like he has more decision equity, which is why just ended up playing gone and not the fight to end inside the distance. But for reference, heavyweight fights end inside the distance about 75% of the time, and you're basically getting a pick em price. So based on math, based on mathematical averages, I know both these guys are particularly durable, but that's still a 25% differential relative to the average heavyweight fight. All and right, Jones. Finishing ability, too. You know, this is not... It's not like John Jones hasn't put people away, sliced guys up with elbows, gone can knock anyone out. It's not like, you know, these lower-level heavyweights are just going to lean on each other. These are dynamic, active strikers and grapplers. Sorry. Gone and Jones at 10 o'clock Eastern Saturday uh, in Vegas, T-Mobile Arena, pay-per-view fight. Um, The co-main women's uh, flyweight Title bout, we've got Shevchenko and Grasso. That's the other fight we want to discuss here. Uh, we also have our fight of the night coming up that the guys want to get to. Um, when we look at this particular matchup, uh, Zerillo, how, when you, when you break it down, how do you assess maybe finding an angle on Grasso? I know in the, the plus 500 to plus 550 range on the money line, um, or is, is there an angle on Shevchenko where you can get it's as a sizable favorite, you can play something where you don't have to lay so much juice. Yeah, I'm going with the total. You know, we just talked about the total wrapped up talking about the total in the main event. I uh, said 75% finish rate at heavyweight, the line around 50%. Well, this line for this woman's flyweight bout, you're getting plus money around plus 140 on the fight to go to decision. Woman's flyweight bouts go to a decision at a 60% clip. So you're getting plus money on something that usually hits at a 60% rate. Now, Valentina Shevchenko, Obviously an incredible fighter, 
not a super potent finisher, but very dangerous. And I think the biggest threat she has to finishing this fight is on the ground. She has a significant grappling advantage. She's not some massive one-punch power on the feet. She has a head kick knockout on her record. But more often than not, it is a punch that wobbles an opponent and then follow-up shots. And she's more of a counter-striker than a proactive pressure fighter. So she's going to rely on her opponents to come forward and create the action, which more often than not leads to relatively low-volume kickboxing fights. So unless Valentina pursues the takedown, aggressively pursues the finish on the mat, I'm expecting a relatively competitive kickboxing match when they're on the feet. I think Valentina certainly gets the better of it, but I think Grasso can be competitive and Grasso has very much leveled up her defensive uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu over time as well. And she's able to stay safe on the match. She's not a fighter like Jessica Andrade who is going to aggressively overexert herself and put herself in danger in order to get back to her feet. I think Grasso knows how to stay safe right out the round and then wait until the next round and get back in the fight. So I do like the overs. The over three and a half rounds is actually at minus 105. That would probably be my preferred bet, just because we've seen in these title fights, when somebody's down in the later rounds, they tend to bite on the mouthpiece and go a little bit crazy in that fifth round. So the over three and a half rounds at a pick and price, then also the fight to reach a decision, and Shevchenko by decision at two to one. All of those sort of correlate. I think the over three and a half, my favorite bet, though. Yeah, Billy, uh, no no quotes here for the, for this particular fight, don't worry. Uh but particularly when you, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. But when you, you you read up on this and kind of looking back at some clips, it seems Grasso's style um kind of plays into what Shevchenko likes to do. So are you like Zarillo or totals or or somewhere you'd like to go or is there somewhere else you want to look? Absolutely. You know, he really hit most of the points I wanted to get to. The one thing I was actually on Tyla Santos against Shevchenko in her last fight from a stylistic standpoint. She was like plus 600 or something and lost by a split decision. So I, I think there's definitely some holes in Shevchenko that we can poke. But man, Grasso is just a really bad style to exploit that. You know, Sean pointed out the counter striking. Grasso throws like an absurd amount of strikes per round. She's the highest on the card in terms of volume, which plays right into Shevchenko's hands. But to Sean's other point, one of my favorite bets they have at FanDuel, they have alternate round betting where you get a couple different rounds and or a decision all for mm-hmm. one price. Shevchenko in rounds four, rounds five, or by decision is plus 120. That's my favorite way of playing it. But really all the angles that Sean pointed out with, you know, attritional finishes down the stretch, Grasso's defensive jujitsu, all that stuff. I just like getting all three of those rolled into one. So if she gets a late stoppage, cool, it cashes, goes to a decision, cool, it cashes. You know, just, just an awesome offering by FanDuel to have those splits when we can take advantage of that in fights that we see this way. Let's go to our favorite underdog plays for the weekend. We always like looking on the card and finding some plus money instead of having to lay some juice. So Zarilla, when you look up and down for this, uh, for this particular weekend, UFC 285, what do you like? Jessica Panay plus 245, much bigger fighter here, four inches taller, six inch reach advantage against Tabitha Ricci. Ricci does have the grappling advantage. I think she's fought fighters in their in her past, though, who are willing to accept position and lay on their back. I don't think Jessica Panay is going to give her all of that top control for free. If she gets taken down, she will proactively look to get back to her feet. I think she is going to be extremely competitive in the striking purely because of the length advantage, if not have the advantage there. This fight should be much closer to a pick assuming they're going to be striking. And I actually do think they're going to be striking more than they're going to be grappling. So I understand why Ricci's favored. 
She has more finishing upside. She has the grappling upside, but I don't think she's going to have an advantage in the grappling as much as this line suggests. I like Penny down here to about plus 235, and I also like her decision line down to about four to one. I think she's a solid value in both markets and definitely expect this fight to pay out more competitively than that line suggests. Maybe she loses a decision, but I think she'll be more competitive. All right, Billy, what do you got? Underdog play. Real quick on Zarello's point. Fight very, very likely to go to a decision. That's mm-hmm. one of those at plus 245. Like, you have a very good chance of getting saved by some bad judging, even if she actually loses the fight. So Yeah, it's like minus 270 to go to a decision. And, I mean, considering it's going to a decision and should be competitive, why is one plus 245? Yeah. But uh, I'm looking at, it's actually the opening card about Esteban Rebovich, and I'm probably butchering that name. Two UFC debuters. I don't know a ton about either guy. But Rybovich is 11-0, big knockout on the Contender Series. He's fighting Loic, Loic Radzibov, who went 4-4-1 in the PFL, you know, kind of mixed results in a lesser league. Again, don't know a ton about these guys, but Rybovich is plus 210 or so. It's another one. I think this should be a lot closer than that. I don't think anyone in the markets really has that strong of a read. So if I can get plus 210 on someone that no one knows anything about and his opponent, I'm going to take it. Do you normally do that when it's just two fighters that you're not all familiar with or it's someone that's new to the scene? It, it's pretty rare that I know this little about two fighters on a pay-per-view card. You know, we just you just don't see those guys get put on these events. Usually I'll have a read on one guy or the other. We've got Contender Series tape on one guy and he looked pretty good, which at plus 210 is more than enough justification for me. So not always, you know, you try to read the records and see what's going on, but neither of them have fought really high-level competition, which gives us much insight into what they're doing. All right. Rebovich has six KOs, five submissions, but of course this is a pay-per-view, bigger stage. Should be good, but yeah, that's fair. I mean, the number... Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Let's go to the, the fighter. Number, the na- the fighter. What's that? So we're betting the number, not the fighter on this. Right, fight. exactly. Yep, that's important to note because sometimes it's hard to not separate those two things when it comes to really anything. When it comes to sports betting, um, let's go to the fight of the night. Uh, Matush Gamra and Jalen Turner. How do you want to play this one, Zarello? Yeah, this is a really good fight. Um, Turner is an extremely dangerous lightweight. He's massive for the division, six foot three, four inches taller, seven inch reach advantage here. Typically has length size advantage over his opponents. Very dangerous guillotine, dangerous grappler with his very long limbs. And on the feet, that length poses problems for a lot of his opponents. He's also very powerful for the division because I don't know how he really makes the weight, but he's able to. Um, That said, I think this is a serious step up in competition for him here. He's going from facing the likes of Brock Weavers and Brad Brad Riddell was a good win. He beat him quickly, though. We have not seen Turner consistently extend in fights, seen how his cardio plays out in the third round. He's gotten stuck on his back in the past when you're able to wrestle him, and that's where I think Gamron has the real advantage here. He is an excellent chain wrestler. He attempts one takedown per minute in the UFC. Absolutely relentless. Is coming in on short notice, but he has sensational fiber on cardio. I don't think his cardio is going to be an advantage here or be at a be an issue here. And Turner has questionable cardio. So I expect Gamron to really take over down the stretch. If Turner cannot snatch up a guillotine, he's going to get stuck on his back for long stretches. If he can't keep it on the feet, 
I don't really see him finishing Gamrod. I think Gamrod eventually drowns him with cardio. However, I don't see a standing knockout as a very high percentage of Gamrod's finish probability. And though he has finished opponents on the ground via TKO, he had a beautiful knee to Carlos Diego Ferreira's ribs that got a TKO on the mat. He's more of a submission guy and a decision guy. I like his submission decision prop, submission or decision prop at minus 110. That's where I'd bet it up to. It's currently minus 105 at FanDuel. Projected that closer to minus 120. So we're going to take his submission equity, his decision equity, the wrestling upside all correlated together at that minus 105 number on Gamrot. Big discount relative to his money line price. So, Billy, I feel like you got a Zerillo kind of mapped out. You either take the Gamrot cardio side or Turner. Can Turner put grappling, uh, have the grappling advantage? Yeah, I I hear a lot of what Zerillo is saying and agree with most of it in principle. But he kind of glossed over the important part of why the short notice fight matters. Gamrot took this one in about two weeks. It's not his cardio. I am not at all worried about his cardio. He'll probably have better cardio than Turner. But what he won't have is an extended period of time to prepare for a six foot three lefty. That's not something that Gamrot's faced. There's just not a ton of those. You know, Turner is the tallest lightweight on the UFC roster. Also left-handed, very awkward. You know, he uses length on the ground to get chokes and arm attacks and stuff in positions you just wouldn't expect them to be possible because he's so much taller. You know, for anyone out there who's done any kind of grappling, you get those tall, long guys, you think you're safe, but all of a sudden they pull your arm behind your back because they've got the reach edge. All of that, if Gamrot had a full fight camp, would have no doubts he'd be able to account for all that. You know, they'd game plan it, they'd work it out. He's a much better fighter here. But man, on two weeks, you can't just roll in and fight a guy like that. You've never fought anyone like this before. There aren't guys like this out there. And this is another one where the story of the fight is kind of this line movement. Turner opened around plus 140 across the industry. Get him as high as plus 185 right now. If that movement keeps continuing, we might even see plus 200 by fight night. I'm comfortable with the 180 range that we're seeing now. This is one... If we can get a better line, I'm waiting all the way till Saturday night and get to try to pull plus 200, get a little greedy on this one. All right. Very good. As we normally do, we do dedicate a section of the, the podcast to top props. But as you probably have heard already, and in previous episodes, Sean and Billy will, you know, add those in, spray some uh, or sprinkle in some uh, notes on decision or uh, any other, you know, First, uh, first minute finish, time of finish, go to the distance, et cetera. So they work those in throughout the show. But if there's one you, you like the most, Sean Zarillo, what would it be? Trevin Jones by knockout of plus 260 over Cody Garbrandt. If you search around, there's as high as plus 325 out there. If you search around, there's as low as plus 180 out there at some very sharp books. I think the sharp money is on Jones by knockout here. Certain fighters get to a stage in their careers where it's tragic because you could see that they still have their skills, their speed, their power, their athleticism, but the chin is gone. And I'm not saying OSP, who lost two weeks ago, still had that skill set because it was very obvious he was shot. But these guys do get to a stage in their career where going into the fight, I'm almost cringing because I know the moment they get hit, they're going to wobble. And Cody has gotten to that stage of his career very sadly. I'm not sure he can take one clean, hard punch and stay standing at this point. He got knocked out by a, a flyweight. Uh, or sorry, he got knocked out by a flyweight coming back up here to 135. 
I'm not too confident, especially going against the guy who gets hit, who hits hard in Trevin Jones, that he's going to be able to take any damage. The problem is both of these guys like to engage in staring contests. They're very low volume strikers who stare at each other. So I'm not as inclined to bet the fight to end inside the distance because they may just stare at each other for 15 minutes. But I do think if it goes to a decision, Garbrandt is more likely to win because he has the wrestling advantage, can get control time, take things down, fight a little bit smarter. He's never fought that way in his career or very rarely has fought that way in his career. There may not be many of them, but there should be a few very explosive high variance exchanges in this fight. And I think they're 50, 50 to see who falls in that. So Jones at plus two sixty by KO when Garbrandt is closer to, I believe plus plus one fifteen. clear value side in this fight. Billy top prop. Yeah. hundred percent with Sean. It is sad. You know, Cody's a guy who got to the UFC, I think is like fifth pro fight or something. And just probably got thrown in there a little too early because to have no chin left at 31 is tough. But anyway, I'm looking at the Ian Gary Machado versus Keenan Song fight. That one's plus 230 to go to a decision. And I think there's just a fundamental little bit of a misunderstanding here because Gary is a huge favorite, minus 700, minus 800 range. But that doesn't mean he's necessarily just going to walk through a guy and finish him. He's been kind of disappointing with some of these fights where he's came in as a huge favorite and they haven't been all that exciting. He's definitely fighting to win, not put on a show. Both of his last two wins were by decision over Darian Weeks and Gabe Green. Not exactly standouts of the division or anyone we should be scared of. Gary's going to come out here. He's going to win minutes. You know, he's going to be opportunistic. If there's an opportunity to take it, he will. But he's not a guy who pushes for um, pushes for the finish all that hard. He likes to play it safe, likes to make sure he gets the W. So plus 230, pretty good line on that. I'm just going to sprinkle. This isn't a huge, you know, don't lay a bunch of money on it. But that's a pretty good line for a guy who doesn't really hunt for finishes that aggressively against high-level competition. Okay, before we go, best bets for, well, these are all best bets, but your Best bet that you want to make your best bet for UFC 285. I know Zerillo, like, I'm, you know, Zerillo, I see you smirk like that. I've, I'm already thinking about baseball and stay tuned for that later on. Cause it's like, we'll get there when we get there. Best bet for UFC 285. No, you know what? Some, like sometimes I do have a bet. I feel a little bit better about, I, I'd say this week, my best bet. I do feel a little bit better about than the rest of the bet. Some weeks I feel kind of the same about everything and want to allocate the same, but my best bet this week, I feel a little bit better about. Drigas Duplessis inside the distance. Uh, minus 135 at FanDuel. Again, that's a sharp line. If you shop around, you could find as low as minus 110 out there. So definitely look for the best available number on this because I projected this at minus 135. That's about where I'd bet it up to, though. Drigas 10 years younger. I used to run into trouble betting on fighters who were past their prime. If you look into the data, when a fighter is 10 years younger than their opponent in the UFC... They win 10% more often than the betting market suggests. There's like a 10% edge betting on fighters who are 10 years younger than their opponents across the board. Certain matchups may not matter. This one, I think it does. Both guys, neither has particularly good cardio. Dreek is much more willing to walk through the fire as they both tire. He breathes with his mouth open. Seems like he's completely gassing out. He beat up Brad Tavares bad for three rounds. He should have finished that fight. He's finished, I believe, 17 of his 18 career wins. The Tavares win was the only one he didn't finish, and he beat him to a pulp for three rounds. He also finished Darren Till, who's very difficult to finish in his last fight. I know Till has been finished in the past, but he's a tough guy too. Driguez beat him up and submitted him. 
Once Derek Brunson gets tired after that five or six minute mark, he starts breathing really heavily. That pressure goes away. He starts backing up. Duplessis going to put the pressure on. I think he finishes Brunson in round two or round three. My favorite bet on this fight, though, maybe Duplessis after round one, because there's a chance Brunson gets a takedown. Brunson gets some top time and Duplessis moves closer to a pick or plus money after round one. If Brunson wins the round, I would absolutely smash Duplessis at that point. Brunson is going to gas at that six or seven minute mark. And I think Duplessis is going to put him away later. So Duplessis inside the distance at minus 105. Wouldn't be surprised if it happened in the first round, but I do expect a later second or third round finish. All right, jump on this. I think this is what Zarello's getting at too before that line keeps moving. Billy, is are you in the same boat? Do you have a best bet that you feel better about than other bets or are you about the same? I do, and there's also a age angle at play in mine as well. So perfect cue up by Zarello. I'm looking at Amanda Hebus. I believe the best line is now about minus 120. And I'm going to do a little bit of MMA math here, which I'm going to get dragged for. People don't like it. It's not a great way to handicap generally, but hear me out. Amanda Hebus and Vivian Adahujo, both one and two in their last three. They both have losses to Caitlin Chukagian. Adahujo just got dominated by Chukagian to decision. I think it was 30-27 on two judges, 29-28 in the other. Hebus lost a very close split decision that I really thought she won. Hugely controversial on the UFC Twitter. You know, everyone was up in arms about it. That in and of itself is not enough for me to say she necessarily beats Adahujo. You know, just because you do better against a common opponent doesn't mean all that much. But Hebus is also seven years younger. Adahujo's 36. You know, if we're looking at how they did in that fight, Adahujo has probably gotten worse since then. She's probably declined a little bit just based on her age. Her age. Hebus is only 29, still getting better. One of the best grapplers in the flyweight division. You know, I believe a black belt in both judo and jujitsu. And she's on the upswing. So I don't want to go much beyond this minus 120 just because we get to the judges again. And Hebus is small for the division. So it looks like she's getting hit harder than she probably is. But I take her down to minus 130, minus 135 range. But minus 120 feels like a very strong pick on her just based on the directions their careers are heading and how similar they've performed against common opposition. All right, gents. Love it. Good stuff. Good breakdown. And uh, look forward to the weekend. That'll do it for the UFC 285 betting preview here on the Action Network podcast. We are presented by FanDuel. You can find more from Sean and Billy over on the Action website in the award-winning free-to-download Action Network app. You can follow the guys and their picks. Best of luck this weekend, everybody. We will see you next time on the Action Network podcast. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.